This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Good morning, everybody. Afternoon, evening, wherever you are around uh, the world. Welcome to our very first episode of 2022. Happy New Year to everybody. I'm going to tell you, I missed everybody on the show. Almost everybody. I'm not going to elaborate on that, though, so I'll just let you guys guess who's here and who's there. <laughs> we really appreciate you guys joining us again. I'm super excited to start a brand new year in the outdoor hospitality industry. As we know, all the metrics are up. Everybody's looking forward to a great year. So I think we'll talk a little bit about that today, but we'll do our standard thing where we go around the room, see what's new. Maybe we can start off by just telling people what you did for the holidays, how you had a good time, stuff like that. Think that's a good idea, Angela. Should we share? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. Let's start with Angela then, since she volunteered. <laughs> Oh, look at that. How convenient. No, I just enjoyed a lot of time with family and a break from work. And it was definitely needed. And it was so nice mm -hmm. to just relax and spend time with my kids that wasn't like trying to multitask with work tasks and things like that. So it was good. Awesome. Awesome. Who wants to go next? Well, just got like, mm -hmm. I, I saw so many awesome pictures. So I know you had a good one. Oh, perfect. Yeah, no, we had a great Christmas. We we uh, closed our company office between Christmas Eve and January 2nd, and uh, everybody got to disconnect for the most part anyways. So it was good. Just time spent with family and our, our little two-year-old. So it was time well spent. Awesome. Awesome. I can go next. So there. Yeah, we. I took actually a big road, RV road trip from uh, Michigan on Christmas night down to uh, down to Florida for my son's baseball tournament. For the most part, I was able to disconnect. This is still a fairly busy time for us just because there's so many parks trying to go live right before that first of the year, or get all their pricing and rules updated and all that good stuff. So from a support standpoint and an onboarding standpoint, it's still quite busy, but I was able to disconnect for, for a few days in there and I, I didn't crash. I didn't hit anybody, didn't tip over. So I, I'm definitely not less of driving a class A RV, but it was a good trip. We had nine people in it which I probably is illegal but uh, we, we did get pulled over and, and i'm still here so do you mind okay sounds fun who can top that i, I can't top it there's no way it, the holidays were great and lots of time with my daughter which was uh, fantastic she's the reason for the season and uh, the light of my life so that was absolutely fantastic and uh, the only time i worked was when i was awake so apart from that it was all downtime <laughs> Awesome. Sorry, we're all talking over each other. Please, Mark, go ahead. Yeah, so we uh, actually spent our first Christmas in 12 years in the house that is ours rather than an RV. If you all remember, we sold our RV last year. And so we had our first Christmas at home here in Wyoming, beautiful weather. We had a white Christmas in the morning and didn't take time off as much as I would want to just because we've got a lot of pans in the fire right now. Some good stuff coming here in 2022. So took the opportunity in the holidays to catch up. Awesome. Can you guys see me again? I was having internet issues. Sorry. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, you're back. What about Ruben? How was your holidays, Ruben? Good. I spent the last two weeks preparing for this conversation. So I feel <laughs> ready to go. 
I've got my notes. I've done a bunch of mock conversations, so I can't over-prepare. Uh, I've never felt so special. Wow. <laughs> that's about two weeks more than I've ever prepared for the show. So. Very intrigued. Yeah, I've got a... I've got two young daughters, so Christmas time is just usually centered around that and presents and Santa Claus and all that stuff. And so it's a fun time of the year. I'm in the Denver area, so it didn't feel like Christmas until about two days ago when we finally got some snow. So it was a warm, unseasonably warm Christmas, but, but yeah, it was always enjoy it. Awesome. Who do we have? Who do we have left? Carrie, did you go or I missed a couple? Just me. Just me. Yeah, no, mine, stay, similar to the rest of you, I, I really just focused on my kids and did all those typical Christmassy sledding, ice skating, skiing, fun things, family dinners. Yeah, all, all of that was great. I, I did get done over the holidays for sure. I think it's interesting that we all, in support of the industry, are prepping at this time of the year, I think, to really get rolling again. I don't know if you guys can see me again, but all your heads are frozen. We'll just play this by ear and see how it goes. But just somebody tell me if my video goes bad and I'll do something to mess with it. So yeah, first, let's before we get into what happened and what people are looking forward to 2012-22, let's welcome Ruben to the show. He's going to be a regular guest with us. I'm super excited to have him here for his first show. He's obviously spent two weeks prepping, so... I feel like we should just turn it over to him and just go away. But Ruben, you want to give us a little bit of background on who you are, your expertise in the glamping industry, things you've done, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I prepared a 40-page slideshow presentation. So Perfect. I've got bad internet, so that'll carry the show. Yeah, so I started in the outdoor space and as one of the founders of a company called Glamping Hub. So think of us as a Airbnb, but only for outdoor unique accommodations and glamping. We've got 70% of what we do is here within the... Um, United States in that uh, started the American Glamping Association. We just had a lot of inbound conversations for people who needed tools, support and tools and support. And they could be a aspiring operator, an existing operator, manufacturers, kind of anybody and everybody in this space. And it's been a great journey over the last few years with the association, just seeing the outdoor space and whether it's glamping, camping, RVs, anything outdoors really boom, even pre COVID. So the association is really a place for us to just help people get it, you know, across their version of their finish line, whatever that might look like. So yeah, looking into 2022 and things that are on the horizon, everybody obviously knows that the outdoors has really become this bright light in the out, in the hospitality as itself. And, and we are very, we're data junkies in many different way and looking at the data that we have so far and what Q1 in the outdoor space will look like. It's exciting about the very, I, mean, I guess that's the only way to put it, I know people always ask is specifically what we do in the glamping world. Is it fading away? Is it a fad? At what point will it start to slow down? I've been asked that question for over a decade and it's always the same question of last, this year was hundred percent better than last year. So I, I, I don't see that there's no horizon of things slowing down. So very excited for the outdoors in general, very excited for what we're seeing for our operators and anybody and everybody in the outdoor economy. This is a giant industry and it's economy in itself. And we're just excited to be, play our small role in whatever happens next. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Uh, Angela, what do you want to, should we focus on 2022? What's going to happen? What people think is going to go on? Should we go around the room like normal? What do you think? I think we should probably start touching on some of the things. We already did a recap um, at the end of last year. So I think that we should start diving into kind of what's coming up and some of the things that we're seeing with the unfortunate COVID numbers and RV shows and those kinds of things and what's happening with those. So I think we've got a lot to talk about in 2022. 
All right, let's go around the room real quick, right? Let's everybody give uh, one or two sentences of what you're looking forward to 2022 in the industry with your businesses, whatever else it might be with the owners you're talking to. And then wherever we get stuck, we'll get stuck. How about that? Sounds good. Randy, you want to go first? Sure, why not? Very interesting stuff towards the end of the year with Sun buying LSI. And I, it, it really surprised me, but then again, it really didn't because I think all of us have talked from time to time about the inevitable consolidation within the outdoor hospitality world of some of the bigger players coming in, maybe even some hotel chains coming in. And although the news first took me back like, uh, gee, I didn't really see that coming, it started to make a whole lot of sense. And quite frankly, if someone's going to start some consolidation of some of the franchising type stuff, why not somebody who's already in the space who knows the space uh -huh. as opposed to a quote unquote outsider, like some, uh, a nameless hotelier that might come in thinking they've got a better way of doing things. So that's going to be really fun to watch. It's going to be fun to watch how KOA responds to the LSI acquisition by Sun. And uh, I think we're going to see the continued influx of intelligent capital and larger companies consolidating and aggregating these assets when they can find them. Because uh, I own United Park Brokerage and I can certainly tell you inventory is very thin. So it's going to be really interesting. The first quarter, I think, is going to really set the pace for the rest of the year. But if, if past history is any indication, it, it, it could change by the day, as we all know quite well. I guess that would be my first kickoff. I just think it's going to be the continuation of what we've seen, which is continued consolidation and a higher level of operating performance, a higher level of expertise. And more importantly, I think, and I'll leave it with this, the continued focus on the guest experience as the main driver. We can look at spreadsheets all we want to, but if you're not really focusing on what the guest is experiencing when they go to a property, we're missing the mark anyway. And I think that's coming more and more into focus. I know Scott can certainly speak to that. Absolutely. But that, and that's great for the consumer, the continued focus on upgrading the guest experience. That's the only reason you're going to stay in business anyway. So it's great to see. And I don't think there's ever been a keener focus than there is now. Yeah, I agree. And, and maybe we should touch on that briefly. I don't want to spend obviously the whole show talking about Sun and LSI, but what you're talking about in a broader aspect is super important for people to pay attention to casually talking about you and me or me and Scott or me and whoever, or you guys having your own discussions about the consolidation of the industry. And it's not as easy to find that building or that property where you can build a hotel vertically like it is with the Marriott's and the Hyatt's and things like that. So as you're saying, Randy, inventory is small, it's, it's less available, but there's still going to be, I think, this push, especially as people realize how recession and pandemic proof and all the other things proof the outdoor hospitality so far seems to be. Cross your fingers, right? I'm, I'm not looking out for us to find something that we're not, but all is well so far. But I think you're going to start to see the Suns do the LSIs as we've seen. I think KOA is going to respond some way. I don't know how that is, but I think eventually you're going to see the Marriott's and the Hyatt's and the IHG's get into this space in some form or fashion. If that's RV sites, I don't know. I definitely think it's glamping and maybe Ruben can give his thoughts on that in some capacity. I think as soon as somebody figures out how to scale this in a way that makes sense for a hotel chain to do, because you obviously can't build up, then I think it's really going to take off and it's going to change our industry Maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. I don't know yet. Ruben, you want to weigh in? Sure. The two consistents, in the, at least specifically in the glamping space, the two hurdles are essentially permitting capital. And there will be consolidation at the kind of entry level, the beginning to starter pack to mid-level glamping operators. You've got some of the larger operators, just call them the big four. Think of the under canvas, the auto camp, collective retreats, the Hatopias of the world. 
that will start to figure out how to do, how to move a little bit quicker and have these economies to scale. But the hotels have been knocking at the door for quite some time at this and they've got the capital to do it. And they had a playbook going in pre pandemic and then pandemic hit, they had a bucket full of cash that they were looking to deploy. And then all of a sudden they can't justify spending millions of dollars on a hotel anymore. And so I think the first entry for that asset class will be these defunct properties that they're looking to have a different revenue stream and a collaboration of, Hey, I've got a hundred rooms. I've got also 300 acres and this revenue stream for the hotel, the key count doesn't make sense for us to put in X amount per key in the traditional hospitality sense, but I've got space. So I think that will be the first wall that gets knocked down. And then the second would be the Marriott's of the world and, and these other larger management companies that say, all right, of all these properties, let's take these 10, we've got to shut them down. We're going to find another asset class that allows for us to have a quicker return, a look towards the future, and we be quickly on it and think about it that way. So I think we're, we're on the cusp of that happening at a, 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 a large pre-pandemic, and then we're now operating in this world and they're still a little skittish. And they're still trying to figure it out. And, and for those groups, remember, they've got a lot of people to adhere to and answer to versus maybe one individual who's a higher net worth individual that could spend 250 million on a project. They can't miss anymore. They've got to make sure that going into the development cycle, moving forward, that whatever they do, they can't miss. And if they're presenting safari tents and this newer experience, They've got a longer road sometimes, but I think we're on the verge. It's going to happen when and how will be a very interesting development and who knows. I think sooner rather than later though, uh, and maybe I'm lagging. I didn't mean to talk over anybody. I'm sorry. Just my internet connection's poor, but I, I think sooner rather than later, especially now that they've seen, I don't think prior to COVID there was a sense in any owner's mind of a hotel that, oh my God, my, like all my business can be shut off instantly like that. There were recessions, there were ups and downs, there was inflation, there was all kinds of other things like natural disasters. But I think that just put a whole new picture in people's heads of if and, and maybe a need to pivot. I was just going to say the industries that we've seen picking up that as far as having a lot of capital in and making a big push into this space has specifically been like the storage space and and obviously like the mobile home space so we've seen a lot of large companies that do really well in, in storage and in, in mobile homes generally really coming into this space pretty aggressively and i i almost feel like they're better equipped to come into this space just understanding maybe a little bit more potentially that of, of the industry than I shouldn't say a lot more, but in some capacity, I think they understand a little bit more. And that's definitely, we've seen that significantly with like larger groups that we've worked with that are starting to buy properties specifically coming from those two areas. But it'll be interesting to keep an eye on if the hotel space makes a big play for that as well. What are you, what does this look like from your perspective, Scott? And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but you run the big management company uh, and, and for those of you who don't know, like the way the hotel, a lot of the hotels function now is you'll go to a city like Chicago or New York or Pennsylvania or Philadelphia or whatever, and you'll go in and you'll see a management group that either has shared ownership or is hired specifically by the owners, but they'll manage seven or eight or 10 or 15 properties all within that same metro area. So how does this, if at all, change the game for you, Scott, if this starts this consolidation, not just from hotels, but if anything continues to happen? Yeah, I think we will continue to see hotel uh, operators get into the space and hotel investment companies get into the space. Uh, we have one client that owns 
uh, several boutique, higher-end boutique hotels in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, they had started a property we managed prior to COVID and saw how well the property we managed performed compared to the hotels. And they're all in looking for the next locations to develop the, the next outdoor hospitality properties. I think what will be interesting to see is how we have, it's why glamping and outdoor hospitality is so um, successful is it's not a brand. It's not the Marriott. It's not the Hilton. And people are tired of staying at Hampton Inns and they're fine. I, I stay in many when I, when I travel by necessity, but how these, and they'll do it. They'll, how these operators and investment companies can reinvent brands and create new brands and new segments, but apply a lot of the operational strategies and know-how that they have from their traditional hospitality products into this space will be very successful. But I can also tell you that from some of the conversations we've had with some of these groups is they're really scared by the industry so far. It's just unsophisticated. There's a lot of potential, but as Ruben, if there's some barriers to entry that, that really, they don't quite know how to, to tap into and, and tackle just yet, but they're right there and they'll figure it out how to do. But I think as Randy mentioned earlier, continuing to focus on the guest experience, I think that these glamping or these hotel companies that can get into the glamping space could do that really well. That's going to be what will help to set them apart, but they do have some catching up to do the big four. And I think this affects glamping certainly more than RV at, at this point. And Ruben, you might know this better than I, but isn't there a, I, I believe that maybe Four Seasons or one of the other higher end uh, hotel companies have entered into the glamping space already on a small scale. So they're starting to get into the industry. Yeah, we're seeing it definitely on the, on the private equity side of it and keep it a little bit arm's length with their portfolio hospitality companies. For that reason of the barrier of entry, I think the easiest analogy is almost because glamping and outdoor hospitality is still nascent compared to the hotel industry, obviously it's the whole mining for gold analogy in where the hotels I think are still looking and those, the money that's actually backing it is still looking at like, all right, we don't necessarily person that going out there mining for gold, not necessarily that they want to sell the pickaxes and the pans to, to gold or anything, but they're just waiting and saying, all right, you guys go out there, you guys mine, and then we'll see what you guys uncover. And then we'll have the money at the end of the day to wrap everybody together, but they're still trying to see what's out there. They just don't, for them, remember, it's always, it's easier for them to move the millions of dollars versus $50 million. They're waiting for it to get a little bit bigger for them to just do a larger in consolidation. And they're just, they don't really have the appetite or the resources to, to start mining for that gold at the moment. So how do they take this? And this is maybe a question for Randy dealing with real estate and stuff like that. Randy, how do they take this and, and value properties either the same differently? Does it change their perception when they're looking at margins and ROI and all the other real estate terms that I'll just butcher if I try to attempt to say, so I'll just turn it over to you. The, the funny thing is <clears throat> the, <clears throat> excuse me, the rules and the matrices for evaluating opportunities has changed appreciably. So a few years ago, everybody talked about cap rate, cap rate. And that's not necessarily the way that things are being looked at these days. It's more what will it be when it becomes what it's supposed to be or when I put my vision on this. So when they're looking at an existing property or raw land, they're looking at what the end game is going to be, recognizing the return hurdles are going to be further out than just buying something, having immediate cash flow today. They're looking at what does this look like when I've imprinted myself on this and made it the kind of property it's supposed to be. So the event horizons get pushed out quite a bit further for the 
anticipated return. And, you know, also to Casey's point, we're, we're seeing that along the brokerage side, self-storage and mobile home, because the cap rates are quite a bit more compressed in those asset classes than RV. They get excited about RV, but the problem with RV is you've got the big seasonal fluctuations and the, the blessing is the curse. You get higher rates, higher returns, but you also get big fluctuations that you don't see in storage and you don't see in mobile home either. So <clears throat> I think to everybody's point, there's a huge learning curve, no matter how smart you are and what money you've got and what your game plan is for the future, you've, you, there's this period of trying to figure out, okay, well, it's, it's volatile. It's taking off like crazy. There's huge returns available. Do I know enough to make a stand yet? I think to buddy's point, I think Ruben, you're saying the same thing. Here's this capital and we know we want to be there, but I don't know if I know it enough yet to deploy and really take a firm position. However, I do think that window is going to be compressed quite a bit. And I think we'll see a splash by somebody probably this year. It may not be a 40 property roll up or something like that, but it might be somebody sticking their flag in the ground and whatever chain that might be, I don't know, but it, not predicting it, but it wouldn't surprise me a bit because when there's opportunity, cash follows and there's opportunity here, but are we smart enough? And do we know enough? The smart ones are realizing we, maybe we don't know what we don't know. It's the ones who think we've got it all figured out and we're smarter than the other guys that often make the very biggest mistakes. <laughs> Not to interject, Randy, but I think you, you brought up a great point about maybe tr these brands that have been historically in the hotel space, which ones make sense to move maybe into the RV space as well. And I, we're seeing that with Margaritaville. Margaritaville, with a couple of locations already open, they've, I think their brand is, is relatively new, even in the hotel space within the last 10 years. And they're certainly picking up speed too. So we're already seeing this kind of cross-pollination between, between even with the same brand, which is interesting. And maybe that one's a little bit unique because it plays very well into the demographic that they're going after in the RV space as well. Yeah, I think so. There's another thing too, that kind of fits into it. Everybody knows sticks and bricks. Everybody knows hotel. They know park models or something like that because it's familiar. Glamping isn't as familiar to them because maybe they haven't done it yet. Once they do, they get bit by the bug. So there's, there's for like a Margaritaville to your point, Scott, there's a great pollination between traditional hotel, but with the RV adjuncts and with the glamping adjuncts, you can serve a lot of masters, a lot of different consumer demographics, allocate, spread the risk accordingly, but you're dealing with accommodations of just varying tunes, but it's a great way to say, let's plug this onto hotel and see how we like it. And they love it. So that I'm sure your point's going to be something we see a lot more of the existing hotel that dips their toes in and says, ah. Big stuff. I would think one of the issues with big hotel brands coming into the space, though, is the geographic locations of campgrounds and RV parks. So when you think about major cities and such, that's where the hotel industry is going to be, feel comfortable. They have offices there. They have hotels there. But there's very limited inventory of campgrounds. Look at, for example, the KOA outside of Portland or I think it was Seattle that was sold and turned into a warehouse. Land's worth more as a warehouse than it is as a campground. And so that's going to limit a little bit of the opportunity for hotels to come into the direct campground and RV park space. And it's a great topic because I was actually, I was coming into this conversation with this in mind because one of the things that I was getting a lot of feedback at the end of, so over the last two weeks leading into the end of the year, was there was a large number of mom and pop RV parks and campgrounds that were actively in the process of being sold. So they're in closing, they're in escrow, and then the deals fell through. And not just one of them, but multiple where the, it was a professional investment group. They got them all the way to the end. And then they came in at the last second and said, hey, 
we actually think you're worth 30% less. And then, and then did that little negotiating tactic. Luckily, all the owners said no and walked away from it. But that may be the only real hiccup to a major chain, like a hotel chain, jumping to the space is they're going to want to run a campground near their existing um, locations. They're not really going to run want to run a campground where most campgrounds are located at, out in rural areas. So that's a little wrinkle into the whole idea that big chains would come into, which goes back to some communities' acquisition of LSI. It's a smart move on their part, right? It, they're, they're acquiring a known brand that, that other owners are franchising. It's why KOA is so successful. They don't need to own 500 locations. They own 20, 30 of the good locations that they like, and then they franchise out the brand to the others. That's where Margaritaville comes into play, right? That can easily be a franchise. Those type of plays become very interesting. The other thing that we're starting to see now, there's now at least two small private RV parks that have opened up in the last year that are completely and fully automated. Nobody on staff, everything's digital. You show up and you check out the spots. In my honest, humble opinion, I think that you're going to see something in that space take off where somebody ends up opening or starting a chain of them along an interstate, along a major route that are completely automated. That's where I think, at least on the RV park space, there's a real opportunity looking ahead. I think what you're seeing is that we're all probably going to be right in some form or fashion. You're going to be right about, I think I agree with you with the automation. Scott's going to be right. Randy's going to be right about the different types of players and things that are getting into the space. I think outside the box is going to be the most interesting thing. So you're talking about like rural areas, and that is a challenge if you're going to do RV parks. But I think if you're going to do glamping, there are ways for these hotels to think outside the box to things that maybe even Reuven hasn't thought of as far as what glamping means today and what it is. And whether that's on the rooftop of a downtown city building, I was watching a, a I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Will Smith did a National Geographic series where he goes, I forget what it's called, uh, Welcome to Earth. And he did a, he did a, no, it was, I'm sorry, it was a different show. Anyway, there's a show I was watching about houses on Apple TV and somebody had built a house inside a greenhouse and it was in one of the Nordic countries, Sweden, I think. And it was completely contained. So his house was inside here. It was warm year round. He had plants and agriculture and ecosystems and all those kinds of things. So uh, is that feasible? Is that something that's going to happen right now, tomorrow? No, but some of those things thinking outside the box could be ways that hotel chains get in and keep things closer to a downtown area to solve that rural problem with glamping specifically. Yeah, and then the only thing there you're going to run into would be zoning, right? Zoning's the number one thing people are looking at, zoning. Can I, can I actually do it there? And that takes a little bit of a mental framework. It goes to the whole idea of people acquiring campgrounds and RV parks. The reality is our industry, and, and I don't say this negatively, I just say it factually, is not as sophisticated as other commercial real estate types. And as a result of that, it lends to inefficiencies in that market, right? So it's not easy to do a 40-site roll-up because 40 different owners, they all have different valuations of the property. And then you have the zoning issues. And for example, Hip Camp, they just acquired a, a competitor in the UK, a big news story over the last week. What's interesting about Hip Camp, when you look at their model, they came into the market, they tried to work with the industry, they saw those inefficiencies and they said, ah, forget you, we're just going to go ahead and start our own industry and get a whole bunch of private property owners to start up random campgrounds without any zoning or health codes. Sweet. And apparently it's working for them, but that shows that there's inefficiencies in the market when other players can do outside the box ideas like that and continue on with those type of models. So I agree with you, Brian. I, I think outside the box will be the future. And then it's just a matter of risk appetite. And the reality is the risk appetite in the market is being driven by the risk appetite overall. When you look at asset classes, who here's 
invested in F NFTs, right? No, I'm not, put my hand up, but you've heard of them. So there, the point is there's a lot of capital trying to chase returns. And as long as that exists, we will continue to see dabbling in our space. The second that stops, you will see that stop in our space too, because people are chasing returns and they're looking in our space for those returns. Yeah. What, one I, quick add on to that too, just really quickly is going to be the, and I agree with that, but the appetite for larger development consolidation, an umbrella, whatever you want to call it, there's going to, the hurdle that they're all going to have to get over, I think for them to move quickly is this feeling or this perspective of them being agnostic, right? So you look at the major investments into just outdoor glamping space. It's one brand, one partner, one unit type, because you can scale it and it makes sense from a business perspective. And that way there's one partner, one, one brand and everything like that. The issue with that and the hurdle that that's going to come across in the glamping space is that the glamping space is built to be different and unique to exactly what you guys are talking about. So it becomes very hard for that user to say, all right, I want to do the exact same thing every weekend at the exact same park. No, I want a unique experience. I want something different. So the moment that larger developer capital can come in and be comfortable with, Hey, you know what? I can have this and a little bit of this and wrap it up and make it work. It's complicated and it feels messy, but I think there's a way for them to make it work, but they've got to know that they have to come from looking at the lens of a little bit more agnostic versus one brand, one backing, one partner, one asset class. Oh, that's work. But I think whoever can get comfortable with that is going to have a lot of running room. Would you think Ruben, Ruben, Randy, Scott, would you think that this is the year to make it or break it for our industry? We've had several years of good runs going into this summer. If we continue to see the growth. That'll be the moment when the big money says, okay, this thing's not going away. This industry is here to stay. Cause I know I've talked to like professional capital and the number one question I get from them, cause they've seen the articles on RV sales and all that type of stuff. They always ask the first question is, okay, so what happens when everybody decides to stop RV, right? That's their number one question. Cause they just, they think it's a fad. And so do you think it's a fad? I obviously I don't, I think all of us here don't think it's a fad, but do you think maybe this is our year where if it doesn't fad out, that you'll start seeing some serious money saying, okay, this is around and it'll stay. I, oh, I think it's a great point. And we've had some uh, conversations internally too, with some of our, our partners along the same lines that Mark has said is, is this just a, a boom and, and when will it bust and how will it bust and, and how do we want to be a part of it? Certainly. I don't think it will. I, I think we'll have another great year in 2022. I think we'll, we should expect to see some leveling out beyond 2022. People are just getting their RVs now that they ordered last spring and they want to use them. So they'll use them again this year. And, and I think we should expect to continue to see that. But I certainly, we look at the, the industry over the course of fuel prices skyrocketing the great recession and certainly through COVID and and it has always performed well. It has always performed relatively well to other uh, industries as well. So I think one, one thing we're doing on our side at Horizon is bringing a lot of stability to the properties that our partners are picking up because 2021 was a feeding frenzy. It was, and I think 2022 is going to be the same way. Pick up anything you can, and then we'll figure it out later. So we've. We think that this would be a, a transition year. I think we'll still be very busy with acquisitions, but you know, we're looking to bring a little bit of stability to our clients as properties and our clients understanding too of what the returns can be. And, and we've been giving Sage advice 
uh, all along knowing that this will eventually level out a bit. It's not gonna, it's not gonna falter. It's, it's not gonna bust, but it will level out and, and likely later this year into 2023 for sure. We're good. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Casey. I was just going to say there, there, Mark, you mentioned like some of the, some are falling through, I think was, with certain groups, but we're seeing a lot, we're seeing a, an insane amount of, of transitions right now, like park transitions where they're, they're going through and it, it's an interesting thing because with some, you have this generational idea, like these campgrounds have been passed on for two or three multiple generations and now they're selling them. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You can look at it from a couple of different ways, but I just wonder, was there an opportunity for these campgrounds to sell 10, 15 years ago, right? Was the investment there, was the margin of the profit there? And, and is this a, a great time to, to, you know, either get into this space um, because it's so big, or is it a good time to be able to get a, a ridiculous amount of return for that? But I mean, we're, we it's taking up the two employees right now, just doing park transitions. Like all they're doing is transferring the back end of, of camp spot to the next owner getting the financial switched over and pricing and rules and, and some of the different setups. And it's happening a lot. Like, it's not like it's one a week or something like that. It's for us, even it's probably four or five or six every week. And it's been like that for a month and we have another. 30 or 45 days and more transitions, which I, again, to me, it's an exciting because it's not just all big corporate taking over. There's a lot of just new people getting into this space for the first time with eyes wide open and really excited. And they're taking at it from a different lens, what they think is possible with these properties. And there's a lot of people out there that want to sell to that type of person, right? There's a lot of people that don't want to sell necessarily just to the big corporate and they want to sell to another family that's going to come in and, and run it similar to theirs, but it's also a good time for them to transition out. But to me, like I said, I, th I think there's the best of both worlds, right? I think there's good of big corporate companies coming or bigger companies coming in and making the property that much better. And then there's also like the, the idea of another mom and pop coming in, taking over a mom and pop and putting their spin on it, putting their marketing ideas, putting their creativity into it to create another unique experience for either the same people that have been going there forever or for you know, that many new people. Yeah. We talk about like an RV. It's interesting because I just I took this trip and then I immediately started running the numbers in my head. Whereas I was like, okay, I, I do 40 or 50 nights a year, just chasing my kids around with these baseball and volleyball tournaments. I'm like, is it cheaper for me to just buy an RV and, and do this? It doesn't seem like I'm, but I'm like running the numbers in my head. I'm like, this is a heck of a lot more convenient. You know, I'm looking, of course, I'm looking at our app. We work, we stay here around in these different Midwest areas that we're staying. And it, the numbers come out fairly close or instead of me driving and staying at a hotel, the 60, 70 nights a year, just for these sports things. I'm like, for the next three years, this is going to be my life on the weekends. It might be cheaper for me to actually get an RV right now, even though they're so incredibly overpriced, but they're, they're, I mean, there's, there's, there's all different positive things going, coming out of this, out of this industry. Randy, please. Oh, just going to chime in on that. Casey, I think you're right. And you're, you're and it, it's one of the interesting things about it because the calculations you just went through or what other people are going through too, that haven't been in the industry before is exactly that same thing. Now that I've tried this, wow, maybe I do want to buy one of these. And we're seeing that translate into sales. RV sales are completely through the roof because people try something experientially first and it becomes a lifestyle pivot thereafter. And now I'm in the space. Now I'm an RVer. Now I'm a glamper. Now I'm doing this stuff. I think what you're doing is what a lot of people are doing. And, and Mark, to your question, I think it's, it's a fascinating question. Where does this go from here? Um, 
if I had to look at my crystal ball, which is notoriously foggy, you, I think you, you can maintain this kind of a vertical rise forever, right? You saw this unprecedented growth. Uh, There's no way that's sustainable. Economics tells us that isn't. There's a leveling off at some point, but I think that's driven largely by consumer preference. And this, I, I go back again to elevating the gift experience. The cut, the guests are going to tell you what they're preferring and diversifying product and having multiple different things to offer is going to be some trial and error. Is it domes? Is it going to be glamping tents? Is it just straight RV sites? That's some of the unsophistication about what ought it to be? What should it be? What are the demand drivers and whatnot? Your guests are going to tell you that. And, and let's face it, camping's been around forever and it's going to be around forever. People want to experience the outdoors. They want to do outdoor hospitality. What are those products? When does it hit a saturation point for this type of product or that? I don't think we're there yet at all. I think there's still a lot of learning to happen and with it's still the wild west out there, it's going to level off, but the smart operators are going to say, ah, I, this niche makes sense or this type of accommodation makes sense. Let's try that. And after that, let's face it, it's up to your customer. They're going to tell you if you got it right or not. Well, that's the fascinating thing. I think with the outdoor hospitality industry, it's the beauty for me that I'm going to have so much fun watching all of this happen, as I know many of you are, is that it can go in so many different directions based on all this conversation that you guys have had, right? There's only so much you can do with selling Hilton Garden Inn or a Fairfield Inn or whatever, right? You can't really change that. And so you're selling it to a big hedge fund or you're selling it to an individual owner, but they're really not going to change it. Whereas you as this owner can, as guys have described, pick and choose. Who do I want to buy this property? Do I want it to be a big management company? Do I want it to be somebody who has a new vision for what I've spent the last 30 years of my life building? Do I want to do it myself now that the industry has become more popular and there's more financing alternatives maybe to me, available to me? And then Ruben said, figuring out that challenge of what kind of demographic or market you target, whereas you know, on a loft hotel is targeting that younger millennial type demographic and apologies to a lot if I just butchered that. I just made it all up. I don't really know, but I've stated a couple and that's how I feel like this. So, but we were talking to a couple of clients before who like bought neighborhoods around your park about, they wanted to turn a park into a glamping hub and they wanted to focus it on just one specific theme and they had a ton of land. And they said, and I said, the same questions came up that Ruben brought up. Well, what if they want to stay next time because they don't want that same themed experience. But if you create neighborhoods with different themes, you drive loyalty and people come back and have different experiences. And I think we're just really scratching the surface of what's possible here. It's interesting that the number, the, we see a lot of management group or large ownership groups, not management groups, ownership groups coming in, a lot of really big money coming in. But I feel like for the number of people that we talk to on a weekly, monthly basis that are coming from these larger groups where maybe they've been in mobile home or multifamily units or storage units and they're getting into the RV space or they're just trying to expand their RV portfolio, we talk to just as many new private owners about the same things. And so it's interesting that even though there's a big influx of all of this larger money coming in, there's just as much interest and influx um, of the smaller mom and pops coming in buying parks or developing new parks. They have land and they are like, I can get a slice of this too. I already have the land. So let's see what, what it takes to develop it. So that's been interesting as well. Yeah. In that one Facebook group we run, the get into the campground business, who just passed over 2000 members. And what I've noticed is a trend over the last two to three months is a large volume of the people that are coming in there to learn about getting into the industry are coming from industries that have been most impacted by the various regulations related to COVID. So primarily, and I'm not getting political here, just factual, 
a lot of the vaccine mandates. So we've seen a lot of healthcare workers, a lot of police and firefighters, a lot of those type of industries where they've been, you know, forced to do something they don't want to do are actually leaving those industries and coming over to something they enjoy, the outdoors, the space. And so we're seeing a lot of that trend, which goes back to early on in the pandemic. I think the joke is that the worst thing about the first two weeks to stop the spread has been the last two years. But when you go back to that, that first two week period there, one of the things I said to a lot of folks is that what's going to happen as a result of this is people are going to fundamentally look at their lifestyles, the way they live, what they do and how they interact with their families. And they're going to either say, I like how things are or I don't. And if they say they don't, they're going to change it. And so I think we're going to start seeing more of that change happening here as we go into 2022 and beyond where these people who never even thought about getting in our industry have said, forget it to whatever they were doing before and want to get into it. And vice versa, there are people in our industry who are like, I want out of this thing and they sell their properties and move out. So I think that's a, a, just a general overall trend that you're going to see and really impact. Just to, to piggyback off of that for 10 seconds here, 95% of the new AGA aspiring operator members have never been in hospitality. I've never been in glamping. I've never been in hospitality. It's a career move. So I would echo that, that this is the first jump into it. Mm -hmm. And you see four and a half million folks that just recently, I think, quit, quit their jobs, right? Everybody's, to Mark's point, it's they're looking to understand holistically what they want their life to be like and that there are other ways to earn an income and, and to spend your time and work with your hands and work with people. And I, I think that makes perfect sense. I'm not to derail the conversation, but and maybe we can come back to this in another show. Randy, I'm curious. Yeah, and maybe for the other group members too, our, we, our experience is working largely professional money and we do have some mom and pop clients, but those properties that are 40 sites or 60 sites, um, that are upstate New York and they're highly seasonal. How is the market affecting their purchase price? How are they looking at exiting and who's buying those? Is it the sense, is it the openness of additional financing now that's slowly coming back around the door industry of banks understanding what this asset class is that's allowing individual mom and pops to buy some of these parks, or is it just a different expectation of, of sale price? So there's a lot to unpack there for sure. Sorry if you're hearing a leaf blower in the background here. I apologize. Yeah. Great question, Scott. So one of the great opportunities out there, I think with the details price of the progression of cap rates is opportunities become a little bit more limited. So somebody wants to make a lifestyle change or lifestyle pivot, they're not a $15 million park buyer, but what they are buying and what they like buying is something that could be 40 or 50 sites, but has some surplus land available to it. So when they start running it the way they want to do it and living the kind of life they want to run one of these smaller parks, but have the land to expand something. Now they've got live data to know what our customers want. So is it going to be park models? Is it going to be glamping tents? It ends up being a very significant enterprise. So the barrier to entry is quite a bit less because you don't have that massive purchase price. And there's a confluence of smaller properties that are still available, in particular in the Northeast, where the values tend to be quite a bit lower than in other parts because of the seasonality. But you know what we're seeing, Scott, and that's a great question, is there's a lot of interest in these 50 to 60 site parks that have acreage because they can be a bifurcated RV plus glamping type of operation. And the biggest thing that's changed, quite honestly, Scott, and I think there's quite a, a bit as well, is the there used to be a stigma about seasonality. It snows six months out of the year. Your spreadsheet doesn't know that. Returns are returns. So if you're not open year round, then you, you can still make a darn good living off of one of these smaller properties. But even beyond that, 
extending into the shoulder and off seasons, whether you're an operator, owner, whatever like that, and finding snow activities and just avoiding the traditional mindset that, well, it's November, I shut down. Don't do that. You've got great stories about that, Scott, with your Oklahoma property where you did something that's never been done before, did this little Christmas thing, this holiday thing, and it just filled the place up. So it's a long answer, short question, but basically 40, 50 sites plus acreage, and then running it smartly with today's conditions, with today's consumer and looking for opportunities within that, you can have a very attractive property and a very attractive exit. Because again, numbers are numbers. You get the numbers up big, a bigger guy does come in and buy that from it. We have someone. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I was just going to bring in, Angela, finish your thought in a second, but I just want to bring in Kara because she's been a little quiet at the show, but, but I think it's a good place to have her jump in and talk about some of the seasonality of the parks in mm -hmm. Canada, how that, how really the whole discussion is, is impacting Canada, but also then Kara to the second question is how do associations pivot to serve some of these larger groups that are coming in the industry too? But Angela, you, you want to go first? Oh, I'm just going to say uh, some of that too with the smaller parks in the colder climates that are very seasonal is it's a very specific buyer that's looking for those properties. It's not for everybody, not just because of its size. It's you have to find someone that is interested in that seasonality because the bottom line is unless you're going to go through the process of burying your pipes, which in an established park is horribly expensive and tasking, it's just you're not open in the winter in upstate New York. You're just not. And so mm -hmm. uh, like we have someone that we work with and they're actually retired and they live in Florida, but they have a smaller property in Michigan. And so they're operating that in the warm, in the warmer months. Sorry. They're operating that in the warmer months. And when it's cold, they're, they're out of there. And so it's finding that really niche specific buyer. And then one other thing to the point earlier about diversifying accommodations and bringing more people into the space for the parks that have the ability, the space, the land to diversify, but they're not, it's really to their disadvantage because there's a lot of people that want to test out the industry to see if it's something that they want to participate in, if it's something they might want to buy in, um, that are looking for those experiences because they haven't committed to buying their own unit. And if you don't offer that, they're not coming to you. And so I just wanted to touch on that from an earlier Point. I don't remember who raised that, but yeah, that's all. Kara? Oh, we can't hear you, Kara. Or I can't anyway. Mm -mm. All right, we'll give Kara a second to, to fix her microphone because I definitely want to hear her opinions. I'm up here in Canada now, but I don't even know the landscape, and I'll let you know if we can hear you, Kara. But I definitely want to know. Hello, we got you. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I just wanted to touch on the, the specifics around having acreage available and stuff like that. I think there's significant hurdles related to that zoning conversation we had earlier with that. I, I know in my own experience with my own park, I had acreage around me, but wasn't able to develop it. So that was really limiting to my business. And so I think there's work to be done. Brian, you mentioned the associations. I think there's work to be done perhaps from the association level to help municipalities and counties understand better the industry and, and its benefits and, and the things it can provide from a, a tax and socioeconomic basis for sure. I also think oftentimes appetite for those smaller parks 
is coming from, was mentioned already, that desire to live that lifestyle. When I was a campground operator, that was always the top thing. People used to say to me, this seems so awesome to raise your kids in this dynamic and all of that. So there was a lot of, I, I got that feedback a lot. I'd love to live like this. And it was great. But I also think there's factors outside of that, including things like staffing and, and those kinds of things that have been such a hurdle lately that probably impact those choices about how big of a property to potentially purchase. So yeah, there's a lot of gears turning in this machine for sure. Specific to the associations, I think we're, we are certainly seeing better partnerships and growth in terms of our, what we call kind of corporate membership uh, participants. We, we have a few groups here in Canada that actively participate with the association and and we're so grateful for their participation and their input. They certainly diversify the perspective of our board and, and all of those things. That's incredibly valuable to us. And I think they, they have a, a different perspective of the business that has really helped us just enhance the perception of the industry here in Canada over the last several years. They've been instrumental for sure. And I, I'm excited to continue uh, growing those partnerships and working alongside those groups definitely into the future. Um, was that, did I answer all of your questions, Brian? I can't remember what you asked me. Yeah, that was a really good answer. And I just wanted you to touch on some of it because we've had such a conversation and every time somebody says something, I'm like, oh, how would that impact CARA and Canada and CCRVC and the associations and all those kinds of things. How do you see, how far behind do you think, if at all, is Canada as far as buying up some of the properties, mom and pop selling consolidations, things like that? I will say we are behind. To measure the time is difficult. I think it's speeding up over the last couple of years. I think we're seeing interest from groups across North America suddenly that are excited to move into this space. We have significant site inventory issues in this country. In the height of peak season in June, July, August, it's tough to get a campsite up here. The rest of the time, it's, there's availability. And, and so that goes back to that seasonality conversation that certainly impacts bottom line and lots of decisions. And, and we are seeing parks make significant choices like doing projects like Angela mentioned, putting services, underground services deeper and offering longer, sometimes in some cases, year-round services. If they're able in their area, that goes back again to that zoning and, and municipality conversation. You have to have be operating in a county that's understanding of those operational parameters and willing to give you those operating permits to do. So there's a lot of things, often regulatory barriers in place here in Canada that I don't know are as much of an issue down south of the border for sure. But overall, I am seeing significant interest from various groups. I just had, I have a lunch next week booked with a, a group who reached out who's never been involved in hospitality at all, but is looking, actively looking at five properties here in Alberta that they want to purchase. I'm seeing uh, or hearing similar anecdotes across the country. Lots of interest in Ontario for purchase. I even, I see Sherry Sylvester in the comments here talking about they've had people contact them to buy theirs. One was a real estate agent who had more than a few clients looking to buy. Sherry operates, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her, her park name, but she's in Ontario and that's, I think it's outside of a few really um, hard hit areas that really rely on cross-border guests. I think overall our, our industry did 
exponentially well and, and very comparative to, to how things went in the States. We do have a bit of a different dynamic up here related to COVID. We're seeing closures and things happening again in the last week or so. And so I've already spoken to operators whose fingers are crossed about what, what that might mean for springtime and potentially a third season starting with that impacting their operating time. Some of our factors are different, but for the most part, we're quite similar and, and on the same page as you guys in terms of, certainly in terms of appetite from consumers. I think we're seeing operators start to get really creative about offering great experiences and packaging and doing all kinds of cool stuff that's really going to impact, make the industry even more competitive and impact how our guests are how they're camping and how long they're camping and, and all of those things, which I love to see. I'm super excited. There's a ton of potential and opportunity here in Canada right now. Absolutely. Awesome. I think we could probably talk all day to each other about all kinds of different things, but unfortunately it looks like we're about out of time. Although my eyesight's getting better and my clock's really far away. So I think we have about two, three minutes left. Is there any final thoughts that you guys have what's happening in 2022, which you're looking forward to diverted there to the whole glamping LSI consolidation discussion? I think it's a valuable topic to have that we haven't heard a lot about yet. I'm looking forward to where it goes. Right. One quick, have one some... quick thought there out, and quick. just to pull everything together. The one thing that just came to mind was, as we're thinking about the consolidation, as we're thinking about how larger entities are looking at this, the way that I look at it is that the opportunity that's still here, where if those larger groups or the industry as a whole is, or whoever you are is saying, wow, this is such a great deal, then the opportunity is lost, right? Because you've missed the boat in a certain way where the opportunity now for those that are developing the campgrounds that are looking at diversified and, and or upgrade or sell a transition groups looking to upgrade their organization in whatever shape or form. I think the winners moving forward are the ones that are just flying below the radar, scrapping it out. The winners right now are still working and still mining things yeah. out at the moment. Yeah. Because if it was the other way of look at this deal, look at this deal, look at this deal, we're past it and you've missed the boat is the way that I look at it. So I think we're in it. And I think that's maybe one kind of one way to look at it that might give some context to the outdoor species yeah. in general, where we're still going like this and we still don't have that deal structure where it's deal after deal, which leads me to believe it's about to happen. And we're on that cusp because if it was going this way, maybe, but we're here and we're not quite at that deal after deal, then that means that's about to happen. Exciting. It's a good point. Awesome. Nobody else has anything to add. I've got fireworks going behind me because apparently my one hour YouTube loop of happy new year got over. That's a good <laughs> indicator. We should stop talking to each other now. So I uh, really appreciate you guys joining us for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Uh, great discussion on 2022. Looking forward to having these conversations with all of you, with all of the people who are watching going forward as we continue to push forward with these different conversations on this show. So as a reminder, we are available as a podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. You can see this episode and the other ones on mcfiresidechats.com. Uh, as well as a few other places. And we will see you next week for a super secret thing that I can't mm. talk about, but it's going to be really cool. And it's an exciting thing that's never happened before. Uh, we're going to give the whole show over to this topic. So we'll promote that probably tomorrow. We'll set up the announcements and the alerts and stuff, but nobody's going to know what happens until it actually happens. So, uh, but you definitely <laughs> want to tune in. It's going to be a really cool show. We've never had anything like it before. So uh, I'm not even going to lead it. Like it's going to be interesting because I'm not going to lead it. So it would definitely be a good unit. Okay. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. And we will see you next week. Take care guys. Happy 20 New Year's. Thanks much. Bye guys.
Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.